Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Hello and welcome back to the How to Get Analytics Job podcast. In this episode, we have two students from our Marketing Analytics case study course who are going to have their Tableau Public profiles reviewed. So in that course, they got lectures on how marketing functions in a business, what marketing data sources are typically available, and they also got step-by-step instructions on how they can build out a Tableau Marketing Analytics dashboard. So this dashboard can be used by a marketing manager to make better marketing decisions. Let me make the implicit explicit. This whole episode is about personal branding. We've been in the analytics education space for years now, and something we see over and over again is that people fixate on hard skills. What's typically going to get you a job is your ability to solve real-world business problems. What both of the students do within this lecture is that they're going to show how they approach marketing problems. And they also have a portfolio, which is something tangible that they can point to in an interview process. They've also posted this on LinkedIn, and they're coming on the podcast. So if you can do good work in a public way, this is a great way to catch the attention of your potential future hiring manager. Also, if you want to get back to the podcast, the best thing that you can do is leave a like, a comment in the comment section down below, and subscribe and ring the bell. This is going to help boost our signal out on the YouTube algorithm. So I just wanted to reemphasize, the personal branding piece may be the piece that's missing in helping you land your analytics dream job. Hello and welcome everyone. So we have a packed house and I thought it would be kind of cinematic to introduce each person one by one. So our first guest, I would say our guest of honor here is Michael Galarnik. Michael, how are you doing today? Good. Happy to be on. I know. Oh, I was about to say, I think you were the first. Is this the third or the fourth time you've been on? Uh, maybe third or fourth. I can't remember. Maybe fourth, I think, by now. But, so. I mean, every, every time you come on, it's a hit. So, I mean. We, well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is different because now we have, this is the most I've ever had on live stream. And it is uh, it's a little overwhelming. So, okay. I've introduced you, Michael. Now let's bring on the team. So I'll bring on... Um, Hunter and Albert. So how are you guys doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Running in the new computer today, so. That's true. Did you get a new haircut? It's a new part. I haven't seen that yet. I uh, I just didn't put gel in it today because uh, I was in I just I literally right before the live stream just finished shutting up my computer and I was on a rush to get on and so I just had to kind of throw this together. Does it look how do I look? Pretty good. It looks fantastic. It, you're bringing that student that student energy that we so desperately need on the podcast. Well, we appreciate someone's, it. Someone's got to bring the youth. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we got to stay relevant. I don't want to be <laughs> be too bad of a boomer. This is like I was up until 4 a.m. cramming for my midterm look. <laughs> I was going to say, the semester starts next week, and you're already in there. Yeah, true. Course. That's awesome. Summer. All right, cool. Now let's bring on our young Padwans, our learners. So we got Tim and we got Danny. So you guys are going to be in the hot seat today. I hope you're ready. Whoa, now. <laughs> Who is Hunter calling not a youth? <laughs> Tim, you're my age. Whoa, now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Danny, how are you doing? 
I'm I'm doing good. How's everyone doing? Good. Hey, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet everyone. I'm excited. Kind of nervous too, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's all this is all for growth. None of this is personal. But you guys are are going to be. I mean, you get, you guys are going to have a killer personal brand after this. I mean, you already do. Like Danny, I saw your LinkedIn posts. I mean, you have more polish on your dashboards than typically what what I put on. So, I mean, already the bar is pretty high. So, so this is a safe space. It's, you're not no no attacking here. But what I wanted to jump into right fast is that okay. So right now we're we're this is the marketing analytics course, and this is kind of step by step, super in depth. Um, what we're starting to do, which is being spearheaded by Hunter here, is we're starting to partner with nonprofits. And Tim, you are a part of. Well, actually, you're heading up Code for Greensboro, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm one of the organizers of Code for Greensboro, and we're the local affiliate of Code for America, which people may have heard of for some of the really big, interesting projects, um, helping people get their records cleared across the country. Basically, the mission of our group is called Civic Tech, using technology and data to help support better community service outcomes, uh, public service outcomes. So from building an app for people to um, look up their voter place and uh, the user experience of the voting booth, which was GoVoteGSO that we rolled out last year, to what I'm really excited about working together with uh, with you on, John David, and Hunter and I have been talking, is pulling um, data that the city makes available and helping the community be able to access things like 911 call data, um, fire incident data, and make some meaning out of that to, to make their communities a better place. Awesome. So I actually had a call with Nicholas, who Albert just put me in contact with. So what I'm thinking is the next six months to a year, we're going to continue as the podcast is running as now, but we're going to be partnering with local nonprofits to do these 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 challenges where so the Cape Fear Collective does a lot of I mean so it's partnered with I think UNCW and they do a lot of like marine um, analysis so we could have a huge data set have him kind of lead spearhead and lead this group of doing the analysis whoever has the most polished dashboard gets that project put on their website and that's some, that's a great piece of personal branding that you could have within your LinkedIn page. So I'm I'm really excited about that. And Hunter, you could, the Discord server. We're doing these weekly challenges, and it's not as like the marketing analytics course. I mean, it keeps growing and growing. I think it's at three hours right now, but we're adding a whole another chapter to it. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the Discord server and the the weekly challenges we're doing? Yeah. So um, it was a little bit unfortunate because like I I had left for like a little a little while to uh, go on vacation with my family and so we'd only managed to get through uh, one official weekly challenge. Um, so I actually spoke with Tim a little bit more about that uh, this this past Wednesday I think it was. Um, and so we're going to make that a little bit more integrated and we're going to stretch it out over a longer length of time, thinking maybe maybe uh, biweekly. So that we can have videos for each part of the, the process. So, you know, we're going to talk about, like, for example, me and Tim went through the data already um, for this uh, this fire, the, the fire incident data, I believe it's called. Um, and we kind of covered what the next steps were going to be. And so we want to make a video about 
cleaning that data up, what that would look like, um, and really each step of the process, uh, making a video for each one so that it's kind of seamless. It's kind of like a mini, a mini lecture that's just less structured, if you know what I mean. Perfect. So, Michael, I want to get your thoughts on this. What do you think about this approach? Oh, I think it's fantastic. So, I mean, anytime you, you know, do any sort of like playing with data, you know, trying to clean it, theoretically trying to clean it, then realizing you're not cleaning it enough, and then coming back and trying to visualize it, it's it's really powerful. Additionally, if you're going to put something out there, I mean, the more the merrier typically. So, Right. Well, because what I'm seeing from my perspective is that there are a lot of nonprofits who need mm-hmm. help. And there are a lot of people mm-hmm. in our podcast who want messy, dirty data. And mm-hmm. why don't we just bring these two together and it's mutually beneficial? Yeah, it's really a perfect combination. I mean, people right. get experience as well to put in their resume or link to, um, but they also get experience that are very useful for like interviews, for example. Someone's like, oh, have you ever, you know, clean messy data? Like, what are the challenges here? You actually talk from experience and be like, oh, it's this data set, this wildfire data set. Um, yeah, it's... It, so it supposedly had this information, but actually like some of this information was, you know, invalid or whatever. You know? Yeah. What's funny is, so I think you actually had the most popular episode of season two of the podcast <laughs> with the analytics portfolio. People just love that. And I think, I think part of that's it's, it's a newer concept. Like not very many people are putting out content on that, but the second most popular episode was the Jay Sueno episode. And mm-hmm. so he, he got his first job at Amazon and part of what helped him get that first job was that he started his own nonprofit called Mama P mm-hmm. and it was about, uh, they sold toothbrushes, but it had a very um, sustainable ecological angle to it. And mm-hmm. I mean him. So <laughs> basically starting your own nonprofit or 5013C is like your portfolio on steroids. Cause he like, yeah. he had to collect the data. He had to make the sales. Yeah. He had to like set everything up. Um, and he said that helped him in the interview process. Cause they're, they're, they ask like, Hey, what do you care about? And he's like, well, let me tell you about this nonprofit I started. And then, I mean, it's just such an amazing conduit to have a conversation about who you are as a professional while kind of subversively showing your skill set. Oh yeah. I mean, Jay's also an amazing communicator. Yeah. Uh, so that really helps the interview process as well, but he communicates like what he's done, like what his products are and like, Hey, I've actually built something like you can go look at it. It's not like fake. Like I'm not lying to you. Right. <laughs> so this is very amazing. True. All right. So we're, we're, we're 10 minutes in Tim, we're putting you in the hot seat. So do you go ahead and share your screen? Do you have your tablet public uh, pulled yeah. up? Yeah. Give me uh one second here. Let me make sure it's on the right screen so that I'm also looking at you all on the video. And, uh, I, I got my special mug today for the hot seat. <laughs> you see this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That cut. So he's at HQ Greensboro right now. I'm, I'm at home now. Like I've, this summer, I migrated to my house. That mug has been at HQ Greensboro for like That's five or true. six years. It's been there forever. <laughs> yep. Yep. And every time I grab it, I think about great data. <laughs> um, so speaking of great data... I was excited to work with this. Um, with this Wait, hold on. Let me study. let me pause you here. So the the way I think we need to give this kind of structure mm-hmm. before I, I got ahead of myself. I pulled, I got excited, pulled you in. So what we're going to do? It's going to be two parts. So we're going to have kind of like it's like a mock interview where let's say that me and Michael are on a hiring panel, and you were presenting this to us as a project like like answering the question of tell us about a project you worked on in the past. 
And if it's a Zoom interview, you could literally say, hey, I've got my Tableau public portfolio page. Let me just share the screen with you. So I, th- I think that is super actionable, um, concrete advice on, you know, Zoom interviews. But so we're, what we're going to do is, is two reviews, essentially. We're going to critique like your presentation style and just give you feedback on like how how to better improve that. And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty of, okay, are these KPI cards right? How could you add in more user um, interface to the dashboard and kind of give a more visualization focused critique? Got it. Got it. So would you like me to back up? Okay. Um, yeah. So let me, I guess I will take on, it's funny because we just improvised this entire time. Like I'm totally making this up on the spot, but I am the interview lead and Michael is kind of like the technical lead. So let's say yeah. I'm the analytics manager and then Michael's the data scientist on the team and he's kind of the one who has more of the technical skills. So the interview might go something like, um, all right, Tim, how about you tell me about a project? Well, okay. I see that you pulled up this uh, t- Tableau project. Can you tell me like what's, go- what's going on with this? Yeah. Thanks for the question, John David, and the opportunity to um, tell you a little bit about my background here as we um, do this interview. This was a local entrepreneurial company who um, helps community members to sell their personal crafts and things that they, you know, may make in a home shop, but they don't want an Etsy, right? Okay. So this local entrepreneur has channeled that into a pretty effective business. And they asked for some analytics on how their marketing investment is performing. And so they primarily focus on Amazon and Facebook. And as you can see on this dashboard, what we wanted to do is come back to them with, um, the key metrics that they were interested in and the ability to keep an eye on them over time. And so we're presenting this to them at the end of quarter one. So January, February, March. Um, And we have here the return on investment numbers um, very clear so that you can see them immediately when you pull up. And the biggest part of the dashboard is of course what the company is most interested in which is the total sales and the total ad spending. And then we get the chance to break down a little bit with them. How is each channel performing? And as they're interested, we can also filter out some of the points that maybe we want to zoom in on. And as our data source evolves, as time goes on for this client, they could use this dashboard to watch the progression of their marketing uh, investment over time. And so the ROI numbers, they might see change and the total sales and total ad spending, they would see change based on their performance. Okay. So tell me a little bit more, what's your thinking behind this filter? What's the functionality? Like what's the value add for that? Well, so the value add for this, I'm, Coming to this from a place um, where my background is in program evaluation, um, organizational um, data collection, and org development metrics, right? So we're often interested in evaluating the effect of a particular intervention. And so my idea with this filter was that we might want to zoom in on a particular week or a period of weeks where some action was taken by the company that 
changed things, right? So week of February 2, total ad spending went way up. And then that seemed to be a leading indicator for um, the week of February 23rd. And that happened again the first couple weeks in March. Now, if we were going a little further with this, might be able to pick that particular month of February and start to drill in on the um, the metrics there. And what I had hoped to do, a couple of things, you and I, John David, had talked about um, breaking this down by channel. There's also... I'm you're, break, you're breaking the fourth wall here, Tim. I, oh, I'm, no. I'm the interviewer. <laughs> so for those those of you who are take watching, I, 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 I did take a meeting mm. with Tim and Danny just to kind of... Um, them a little bit um so there's a little bit of coaching involved but we need to get back in the scene here that's right so I, I, tim i, I feel again. like you're, mis- you're mistaken i have no idea what you're talking about i apologize this is awkward now sip my water <laughs> uh, michael do you have any questions that was, yeah so a couple things so it's an etsy business but what kind of etsy business are they you know embroidering things are they uh you know what are they selling exactly, like roughly? Because um, this might have an effect on like, you know, uh, sales might be dependent on certain times of the year or there might be some sort of, sort of seasonality here that we're not seeing as well because it's just like one quarter. Um, but I, that's just, that's a really uh, uh, mean question in a lot of ways, I would say, simply because, you know, you have one quarter of data and like seasonality is typically very more, much more prevalent in like, uh, larger amounts yeah. of sales and like bigger companies and stuff. No, I, I, you consider I'm, that. I like the mean energy, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> answer. <laughs> oh my. Um, yeah, Michael. Thank you for the question. Um, what we have in our data set is actually units, um, and mm-hmm. so we don't break them down by whether the particular um, community member who's contributing products is. Uh, doing embroidery or woodworking. Like I said, these are people from all across Greensboro. Um, mm-hmm. And this entrepreneur has created, if you will, a, a storefront for them to feature local mm-hmm. products. And so some of that gets lost in the aggregation of the data before it came to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be something that we dig into more with the client is where could we break down that supply chain and look at the performance of particular categories of uh, inventory um, rather than just total sales by channel. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I have another question. So please, uh, you have like clearly different ROIs for Amazon and Facebook. Uh, so have you like dug into the reasoning behind that? Or is it just a typical ROI for Amazon versus... Um, Facebook, or do you think there's no point to doing Amazon just loading up on Facebook? Or do you think there'll be like diminishing returns if you just kept on pumping money into like Facebook ads? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. 
And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Um, that's a really good question. And I have not broken it down quite so much with them. Um, it seems like the performance of Amazon sales, if we were to dig more into that channel individually, Mm -hmm. which we can over here. Oh, sorry. Now I'm lost in my tableau. You're going off script here. Um, so, <clears throat> so yes, we could dig into that with the client, but the data set's not quite structured right. Oh, cool. Okay. So, I mean, that's a big part of like life. And if you come, you know, work for this theoretical company that we're interviewing you for, um, is that sometimes your data just isn't what you think it is. Um, so sometimes for like dashboards occasionally, but I see it for like uh, more like super data science things where people uh, like have a little like, you know, extra sheet or whatever saying like, oh yeah, here's the data. Like here's what was good with it. Here was like the weird stuff. Um, and having that easily available is also mm. great too. Cause you might forget over, you know, uh, if you have this dashboard, you like, you know, you sell it, you interview, you get a job, whatever. And then like two years later, you're like, uh, I don't remember anything about this data. You know, when you're answering questions, <laughs> but that's really just a, a very, uh, uh, nitpick really. It's not a, uh, like a negative thing for actually getting the job itself and just something to consider at least for your own benefit too. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm writing that down because that's a really useful, <laughs> a really useful thing, especially when we talk about um, translating between our insights as analysts and the clients who are interested in hearing them, but don't speak the language of data. If we have a, a cheat sheet in the background of, here are the things that were challenging with the data set and the particularities that I saw as a data analyst, data scientist, and presenting those things as context in easily accessible language when we explain our metrics, when we explain these dashboards. Okay, so we're, we've been neglecting the chat for 21 minutes. We need to, we need to make it an end to that right now. So, <laughs> so we have one random person here Basic feedback from one ran, random person's view. No need to thank the interview for each question. It becomes a bit patronizing after the first time. Matt is being self-deprecating. He's, he's, he's an active hiring manager. Um, so <laughs> I think this is just an interesting conversation to be had. Um, Michael, what do you think? Do you agree? Do you, what do you feel about this one random person's opinion? I mean, so I think in general, there are so many things we could possibly be doing uh, just on a daily basis to, you know, improve our interview score, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely something to consider, something to do. But is that the most important thing? Just consider that before, you know, you just focus all your time on just 
you know, adjusting how you speak, um, which is very important for consulting, of course. But yeah, of course, uh, no need to thank the interview for each question. Um, but I think it's low on the list of priorities to fix. Right. That's my opinion. I, I'm like, it's a judgment call, really. But I, yeah. I think that's a great point. Well, I mean, it's just an opinion. I, I, I just thought it was interesting pulling in um, mm -hmm. that to kind of, because, uh, yeah, it's funny because Matt was in the, the chat. He didn't even realize it was, because what we did last semester, uh, Matt, mm -hmm. um, Michael, if you remember, um, mm -hmm. this was all pre-recorded. So, like, we're, yeah. we're able to interact with the audience while he's giving this. I mean, it's it's almost like uh, trying to split, spin multiple plates while riding a unicycle right now. Like, I'm, <laughs> there's so much going on. But, um I think that's I think that's 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 an interesting point. Um, I don't think it's overly patronizing. Um, it's funny though because Tim, you crack me up because you have a presentation voice and you code switch real hard. It's hilarious. It's like you go into like it's almost okay. like your David Attenborough presentation voice that you go into. And then which, I, I went mean, off script and I'm like, <laughs> oh well, thanks for the feedback, John David. That break smash that fourth wall, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's also funny that you, um, the context in which you put this case study, you completely ad-libbed. Like this, uh, this isn't, well, that wasn't part of the actual course, which no, I, I really, I really like that you kind of got creative with it. But I mean, it gave it really good context. So what I liked about your presentation is that you started high level and you laid out the problem. I think oh, so many people that I see in the interviews, um, like kind of setting as they jump right into the hyper-specific details. And then they go super granular and then try to back out to the 5,000 foot view. So you did a fantastic job of just setting the scene. And one, one note of critique from my perspective is you may want, want to have, have given it a little bit more space and like say, oh yeah, so we, we did this analysis, marketing analysis for this company similar to Etsy, but for local businesses. And then maybe have the interviewer ask a question because it was like a very long, like, and I don't know if that's, um, they're just like a kind of your approach style, but um, I think it's good to be a little bit more conversation. But like Michael was saying, that's kind of low on the totem pole. I overall I would say that that was a fantastic presentation. You have any more feedback, Michael? Oh yeah, mm -hmm. sorry, tons of feedback. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So like like anything, right? Uh, I work in distributed computing these days, which is not important what that topic is, but essentially like scaling up algorithms and stuff. So my sort of question here is. This is uh, in sales, and of course, it's you know different field. But how scalable is like when you increase the ad spend, increasing on total uh, total sales? Because it clearly looks like if you spend more money in ads, that that money spent is actually clearly worth it, just from the chart itself. So, do you think there'd be like a point where it's like, oh, it's not worth it at all to keep on increasing ad spend if sales don't go up, you know, in the same sort of fashion as now? You know, Michael. Um... Your answer from about five minutes ago about this being only one quarter, I think applies yeah. here. If we had a year's worth of data, it would be much easier to do some predictive analytics and look at mm -hmm. the trends over time. But here we're, we don't know if what we're seeing is um, a seasonal slump in January and February, perhaps, right? That starts to pick up at the end of February. Um, mm -hmm. We would, we would really want to look at a longer period of sales data in order to make some predictions about trends um, in the ad spending. If I were giving this company a recommendation right now, 
I would say um, stay the course with Facebook and scale back a little bit on Amazon or even pump more money into Facebook because it's clearly working. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. So then as an evaluator, one might, um, or in any consultant role, one might want to dig into the specific particularities of Facebook. Is that because Mm -hmm. there's more of a community on Facebook, right? Allowing these Mm -hmm. local entrepreneurs to spread the word amongst their friends versus Amazon isn't as accessible to the particular community. Perhaps maybe what we're seeing has nothing to do with the ad spend itself is what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say. Oh, that's a great point. Because oftentimes you see uh, one thing you assume, you know, correlation is causation. So it could be something else entirely. So that's a fantastic point. And uh, for stakeholders and for, you know, my boss, essentially, that's probably the most important thing to mention. Because <laughs> otherwise, we'll just keep on pumping money into ads and then wonder why, you know, six months from now, like yeah. why sales yeah. haven't gone up. Um, so it's, it's this is a really great dashboard. Uh, and of course, it's based on your data itself. So the other thing that I find kind of interesting is you increase ads, you get total sales. But at some point also, is there a limit to how much sales you could have because you have a limited inventory? So I think that's really cool and something to consider just for down the road because you may not even have that in your data set, right? Um, and final just comment, well, because yeah, I, we- I know uh, we have limited time here, uh, is you have Amazon ROI, you have Facebook ROI. Uh, I, I was wondering if you, you know, try Google ads. I know you probably didn't because it's just the data set you were given, um, but do you think Google ads would be worth trying um, or similar? Yeah, absolutely. You might take 50% of the Amazon spend and put it into Google ads next quarter and we'll create another KPI card for it. All right. So I'm going to break, I'm going to break the fourth wall again here, Michael. So this case study course is based off of, I ran the capstone course last Mm -hmm. semester. Um, This is data that's been a not part of the reason why it's not non-specific is that I've removed all of the private information. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what my students did last semester is that they did an ROI calculation for Facebook, Amazon, and Google. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to remove one of them just to make sure that I'm absolutely protecting my clients. Anonymous, like um, make, make sure it's like above board. But I think that you kind of hit on something of like, well, well maybe we're, we need to expand like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe what we could do is take half of the, um, ad spend budget for Amazon and, and divert it to Google ads. Mm-hmm. And then kind of what I, what I try to explain in the case study is that um, it, it's, it's an, it, this is a sprint and this is the first mm-hmm. iteration. And I think I may mm-hmm. go in and kind of treat this course as a living, like a living document, go in mm-hmm. in six months and then add, you know, a full year's worth of data and then have them like kind of start here make some assumptions and then see, you know, did those assumptions check out um, for, for the real world? Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. I was just uh, making a, a comment about like uh, diverting investment or diverting funds and stuff. Awesome. Um, so Evan, Evan, mm-hmm. uh, is it Levy or Levy? So I haven't talked to him. We got out of coffee like two or three years ago. Um, and he is a marketing analytics expert that lives in Durham. Um, so he, so he was piggybacking off of, I guess we were talking about seasonality. Mm-hmm. So Evan was saying seasonality and more data can help answer that question, but you definitely need more specific metrics and ad platforms relating to available reach and available impressions to talk about diminishing returns. So 
I so I absolutely I agree. What was interesting is that the context of this case study is that this company was doing about 100 200 million in sales through like a distribution network that they spun out their own direct to consumer line and this is their first um first stab at going direct to consumer. Oh. So th- my students with the limited data and the data wasn't much more granular than this gave enough of a signal for the president of the company to say, all right, we're going to go with this direct in this direction. So I, I like that this, this case study is pitted in reality and it's like, there are constraints and you don't have a perfect clean data set. That is, you know, a crystal ball that lets you predict everything perfectly. It's very much real world where we right. just want data and it just, uh, Oh, we don't have that information. We just we have to go off what we have, you know? So I think this is fantastic. Perfect. Um, well, what's funny is that I was I was planning to do like the the <laughs> let's critique his presentation, but it kind of melded into the presentation. And then Michael, you were like critiquing the KPIs and stuff. So um, I mean, I think, I think the visuals ahead. are fantastic. So they give you a, like a jumping off point for like actually talking to each other and like finding out about this data. Right. But I mean, yeah. I guess kind of the me- the meta point is that. Mm-hmm. If you build out a Tableau public portfolio and you have a Zoom interview, you may be able to pull that in on screen and talk about mm-hmm. your work. Because think about how this was the conduit for this conversation about seasonality, about limitations of data sources, about different um, ways of visualizing the data, about kind of who was the target demographic or the buyer persona. Uh, I think that this is just a great conversational tool that gives you so much ammunition to kind of guide the conversation in interesting ways. But I mean, very concretely, you're showing that this is the analysis that I've done and here are the conclusions. It actually doesn't matter what conclusions you come to. It's all about that thought process and how you are solving novel problems that you've never seen before. Yeah, in my experience, that's what a lot of employers, a lot of clients are looking for. There's one other thing I wanna call out. before we, uh, if you're about to shift to Danny's um, dashboard, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention color. Um, and the reason that I specifically chose blue and orange instead of the more traditional um, profit and cost red and green. And part of that is that a large portion of our population is red, green, colorblind. And so it's hard to see the difference if you see like between total sales and total ad spending, if they were in red and green for spend and sales respectively. And so the blue and orange provides contrast in an accessible way. So I just wanted to mention in, in the design of data visualizations, um, the conversation around accessibility of those visualizations is more and more um, or is happening more and more. And I've been excited to, to get involved in, um, in that sort of um, exploration. Yeah, that's that. Well, th- see, that's what's that's interesting because it's it's you're just showing that you're curious and you're you're also being empathetic and accommodating. I mean, that's that's fantastic. I, I'm glad that you kind of riffed on that point. Mm-hmm. All right, Michael, any last feedback? No, this is truly start? excellent. Your dashboard made it so that we don't even have to talk about the color choices because they're so accessible and they're so. It's very clear what's going on just by your your tables, your charts, and more. So, okay. All right, so we're going to cut to a quick commercial break and then have Danny 
uh, come on. And I, what I love is that he took such a different approach to the dashboard. And I, I, I feel, I feel like that is one of the value propositions of the course is that we do a LinkedIn challenge of, Hey, here's the bones of the, the course. I want you to customize it, post it on LinkedIn, tag me, and I'll give you feedback so that everybody has, you know, a unique dashboard instead of this like cookie cutter. Here's the, here's the, here's the structure of this. And it's the exact same as, I don't know, 3000 other people. All right. So let's cut to you. So, are you looking for real data to analyze an actual problem to solve an experience worth talking about in an interview? Well, in this case study course, you get a real world problem with a messy data set and a business outcome that's on the line. My name is John David and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, a boutique consulting agency that focuses on business analytics. I'm also a professor of analytics at Greensboro College. And in 2021, I had the privilege of combining these two worlds. My real world Greensboro College students got to work with my Silvertone Analytics clientele for the analytics minor capstone course at Greensboro College. This case study course is modeled after the lessons, the trials, and the tribulations that my students went through in the analytics minor capstone course. My students got to work directly with the president of an organization that is clearing over 150 million in revenue every year. And this case study course keeps the exact same data structures that they worked through in that case study. But I anonymize the data to protect my client's privacy. So are you ready to solve a real world business use case, build a killer analytics portfolio, and even learn how to communicate these findings in an interview setting? Well, click the take this course button now and join me inside. Oh, wow. Danny is invisible now. Oh, there he is. <laughs> so before we get into your, go ahead and share your screen. But before we get into that, why don't you give us a little bit of um, context on, on who you are? Because I know that you have a non-marketing focused background, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my background is really in, um, in healthcare, um, particularly clinical trials. So I've been programming in SaaS for over seven years. Um, strictly in um, you know clinical clinical trials predominantly, and I've done some um, um, contracting work for government here and there. Perfect. So um, I've been trying to get into you know I probably trying to get into sales and marketing. So that's how I came across this course, and I decided to you know give it a try. Yeah, I was gonna say sales and marketing is my bread and butter. It's it's fun. Like <laughs> I, I, I in my MBA, I took my supply chain classes, and it was so boring for me. Because we're like building out ad campaigns and like seeing if it resonates with different. It's just it feels like more creative than supply chain or like something that's like more kind of rigid. Um, so go go ahead and share your screen and we'll pull up your dashboards. We'll go back into our mock interview. I'll be the the lead interviewer and Michael will be the tech lead. So I'll be sharing it from. Um my Tableau public page, but that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We don't have to do like in-stream edits. Well, you can take those recommendations. And mm -hmm. I, both of you, Tim and Danny, feel free to like tag us in it and we can kind of iterate on the feedback. Mm -hmm. All right. Can you see my screen? Mm -mm. Not yet. So it's that share button at the like, um, it's, you see it says mute, stop cam, cam slash mic, share. Oh, okay. Um, 
this is a very real part of an interview. Like, especially <laughs> these days over Zoom. This is, like, sometimes you have technical challenges, and uh, this just happens to be one of them. That's true. Can you see it now? Oh, wait, hold on. That's actually an error on my end because it added yeah. it. It added a, a whole nother layer to the um, stream yard. There we go. There you go. And, uh, look how different that looks than mm-hmm. than Tim's. That's awesome. All right. So, Danny, tell me what's going on with this dashboard. Um. So, the data is from a, a small company that it's um. You know, just trying that they do. They do marketing on both uh, Amazon and and Facebook, and uh, they're trying to see which of the platforms uh, gives them a better um, return on investment. So, trying to figure out where to spend um, most of their money for their marketing ads, and um, um, so then another thing that I you know went into also was looking at um, attribution um, based on like the kind of campaigns and just to see which of the campaigns actually um, led to sales or, you know, from which campaigns they had conversions and, you know, all that. Yeah. Can you tell me a little, what, tell me a little bit more about what is attribution? So attribution, I would say attribution is, um, it's uh, kind of like a way of determining which of the the ads or what type like which of the i'll say ads it could be like um maybe like an email ad or or facebook ad or instagram ad just to see which the rate of conversion just to see which of those ads actually led to the the customer purchasing the product or the customer subscribing for a service okay so you you included attribution on the dashboard as well yeah, it's in a separate tab. Um, okay. This. Oh, int- wow. Hey, hey let's, let's go to attribution. That, that seems er, – er, Michael, do you have any questions about this main – this the kind of ROI dashboard? So uh, a couple things. So anytime you give uh, people a similar – the same data set, like depending how you filter and clean it, you'll have like different results, at least slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last uh, Tim's dashboard, I know we don't often talk about, you know, different – uh, interviewees during a process, <laughs> unless it's like a competitive job thing, which you often do have multiple people interviewing for the same day for the same job, uh, which is depending on how you think about it, good or bad. Um, so for this one, it seems like Facebook ROI is less than the other one. So it seems like it was calculated differently. It could be better. It could be worse. It could just be that there are certain filters that this client was more interested in, or the sub client was more interested in for like individual contributor, you know, this client instead of just like the CEO. So the audience might be different here. But the one thing that's kind of interesting here is from his uh, dashboard, it's really clear that Facebook has some sort of more direct relationship where the other one seems, for Amazon, seems a little bit more noisy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Facebook looks like there's some major contribution here. And that's what his visualization is showing very clearly. Like, hey, something's going on with Facebook here. Let's, you know, look into this. So. Yeah. So, so. You invest in the ads and then like within the next week or the next month, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you have more people buying. Yeah. And then it's, it sounds like there's not really a much of a correlation between because, I mean, the spend is going up and down and then it's the uh, sales looks like it's it's not really related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
other interesting thing here is the last week of March that you have here, it looks like the sales went down for both Facebook and Amazon. So I'm wondering if the, it wasn't a complete week of data, which probably was. Um, Danny, was it a complete week of data in last week? Um, um, here, I can pull up the uh, raw data file on my end. Uh, you yeah. guys, so uh, Michael, tell me like about that. That thought? Yeah, um, tell me more about that. So anytime you clean data, there could be some sort of issue because it just seems like either the end of March is like a really bad time to um, to invest or buy something or just the sales just dip. It could be, you know, less product available. Could be that the sales for a given date aren't captured till later, which sometimes happens. Um, but it's just something to look into. Like it could be anything. Could be just natural part of the data. Could be something weird in the dashboard. But I think it's probably more of a, a data artifact than anything else. Um, but yeah. Um, so oh, if, seasonality so let's too. say that it, it's so let, let's say that um, it stopped in the middle of the week. What would you do mm -hmm. in that situation? Actually, let me ask Danny. Danny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like asking you like Danny. Okay. So let's say that uh, the data ends in on a Tuesday. Would you or would you not include that week within the analysis? Or how would you handle that? Um, so... I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know if this is a situation where um, data scaffolding can be applied so you can have it for the entire month. Um, well, it wouldn't be a data, data scaffolding is just combining multiple. So let's say that it's a limitation within the data. And here, actually, I can share my screen and, sh and pull up um, here. I'm, I'm going to bump your screen for a second just to pull up mine. I mean, he could be right about uh, combining data sets. It could be just that you do have some future data in April that you have to migrate to March just because of the way that data was inputted. That's crazy. Um, okay, so let's see, 330, yeah. So in this situation, the sales for, and this is specifically, okay, For let's look at Facebook. So the sales go all the way, yeah. So it was just a down month. So that wasn't a situation where they got cut off in the middle. It's just, yeah, mm -hmm. we, and that that's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. So Dane's bet dashboard was epic then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it did, mm -hmm. it did everything it needed to. Let's, let's pull it back in. Yeah. That's interesting. So, um, sorry, I was I was off in Excel land, like trying to get everything mm -hmm. pulled up. What, you, you said you uncovered some seasonality? Uh, it looks like, uh, Danny, do you want to talk about their seasonality here? Uh, if, in theory, like some months is better than other months and stuff? Um, yes, actually. Um, so so I, I put a little a filter here just to see, you know, in case the, the, the client wanted to look at it on a month-by-month basis. And um, so here you can just see, you know, January um, versus February. And... Um, and March as well, but um, you know, it looks like Facebook did really well in um, based on the the ROI for Facebook in in the month of January. That was you know pretty good, and um, 
yeah so i guess just try to talk to them and try to figure out what is it they did in in uh in the month of january that you know the returns were so good and probably they should keep doing the same thing all right we're breaking the fourth wall again here but jay sueno is in the chat jay we were just talking about if you go and listen to like i don't know 30 minutes ago we were talking about how uh, i connected you with uh nicholas and we're going to start doing some some analytics for the nonprofit sector so thanks for coming on that's awesome all right, back back into interview. I, I'm now the interviewer again, not not the live streamer. Um, okay, okay. So I I do really like the formatting for this dashboard. Um, it's it looks really really. I mean, uh, Michael, what do you think? I mean, it almost looks like a, like a web app or something. Like I oh, really this like. This is pretty epic. It it breaks the Tableau uh, mold and does something even more. Uh, I really really like how Danny has it. So like or that Danny that you have it, it's like January, February, March, because it clearly shows there's something going on here. Maybe we don't have enough data yet to, to see it long-term, but it's clear that like, if you're doing this for a client, it'd be like, oh, this is fantastic. Like you can see like what's going on uh, and potentially why, or at least something to look at for the next year. Um, also awesome dual axes. Like you don't see that that often, at least I don't anymore. Or <laughs> um, you can directly look at the spend versus sales. Um, so it, it's very, very much interesting here. Yeah. Um, I mean, the UI, like this looks like a web page on the, like, like that could be embedded, embedded on my website and I would feel comfortable like having, well, I guess if this were, I wouldn't want my private information. Although actually, Michael, I think we're, we're going to start just like opening up our data sources of like, Hey, if you want to study our data, have at it. Um, we'll get your email address though. It will cost you your email. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, like this, like Dan, you have got an eye for design. I mean, this looks. I, I like the uh, like the shadowing on the the boxes and the the KPI cards are all. Um, I mean, fantastic job! Like that looks, that looks so good. I I hope you're proud that you have this as a portfolio piece. <laughs> oh, I am absolutely. <laughs> all right, so let's 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 jump over to attribution. So the attribution part of it, I was trying to go for the same thing. Um, uh, okay, so I kind of did like a kind of like a distribution to see like based on um, the different types of the attribution for Facebook and try to compare it to see um, I guess which. Uh, sorry, okay. Okay, so, I was going to yeah. say it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just wanted to see like an overview of like um, Facebook versus Amazon just to see how um, a lot of attribution just to see like what it's working. So you can see that from the, I guess, 91 orders on Facebook, um, 46 of them came from the from FA1. While, um, you know, just kind of the percentage breakdown and you can see a similar thing here happening for um, um, Amazon as well. Wait, can I pause you right fast, Daniel? Sure. You're falling into the trap that I just laid, about, laid out about like talking about Tim. You're jumping into the hyper-specifics first. Back mm -hmm. out. Tell us what is going on here. Like, think about it like you're swimming in the kiddie pool or this is like kindergarten math. Like, what like explain it to me like I'm a I'm a layperson I have no idea what's what's going on here, so start there first then we can get hyper specific once I understand the context. Okay, so what is happening here is um, 
they have all this, they have these ads that they run mm-hmm. and the ads and the campaigns. And so based on this ads or campaigns, um, they want to know which of them lead to, uh, I guess, a conversion. So, so, so what is the best ad that happened in Q1 of that year? Um, for Facebook, I would say the best ad will be FA1. Okay. What about for Amazon? For Amazon, the best ad will be um, A2. Okay. And tell me, how are you, how are you getting that? Um, so I was, I, I, I looked at the, um, the, the ad spend per, I guess per ad and then try to compare and I compared it with, um, sales from that same ad. Okay. Michael, do you have any questions about this dashboard? Okay. Um, so I'm going to be a little nitpicky here. So, sure. uh, so just from like, if I were to share this with like uh, a non-technical boss, because they're the ones that control like what we end up doing. Uh, so the null here is a little distracting. I know it seems like really small. So null is unknown, I'm guessing here. Um, yeah. So null is, um, there was no, um, I guess, attribution associated with it. That's what the null is. Mm-hmm. No, okay. ad, no specific ad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just a preference, but I probably put like unknown or okay, um, like or you know, miscellaneous or you know, something. Um, but that's okay. just a, a comment here. Um, I like this a lot. I like the other page better, honestly, um, just because I think pie charts are this is more of an opinion of an interviewer, but universe sometimes are very like opinionated, like oh, pie charts are terrible or whatever. Um, Oh, yeah, I, I like the, the line graph a little better because it's it's clear because um, I found the colors were a lot easier to read. Whereas in this one, um, the campaign, the colors, I think from looking at the Facebook to Amazon, it's hard to see like there's some sort of connection. Whereas your last graph was like very clear, like this is over the same time period and, you know, those sort of things. But this is a harder thing to graph. This is a harder thing to visualize. It's important to mention that. Also, too, so I... Okay, this this is interesting. So we had Ash, who was a former LinkedIn mm-hmm. data scientist, yeah. who um, like we were talking about this case study course, and he was like, "Oh yeah, the attribution isn't there." And then we had a thirty minute conversation about how attribution works. I just clipped that 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 live stream segment, added in the course, mm-hmm. and added added into the data source. Um, mm-hmm. So Danny hasn't hasn't had as much time with this. Like that's a recent addition to the course. Oh, I see. So um, this is this is really just his first iteration, which Danny, by the way, for your first iteration, this looks fantastic. Um, so what we're typically doing is like they'll they'll post it, tag me in it, I'll give them three points of feedback. Mm-hmm. So that first one got, I think, like one or two rounds of revision. So um, that's also something I kind of wanted to, to highlight to the, everyone listening is that this isn't a one and done thing. Like you need to take an iterative approach to building these out. So like this is essentially the prototype. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're we're the like in this situation. I guess now we're wearing different hats of like we're gonna tell you, all right, um, the pie chart isn't good because well, I mean, from a data visualization, Tim got into color theory. I'm gonna geek out on like the way our eyes work. We are not good at understanding. Okay, is this angle bigger than this angle, and how, by how much? But we can see that okay, this bar is that much longer than this bar. Like we mm-hmm. we especially if it's a unified axis. So, um, Michael, what? 
how would you how could he improve this specific visualization? Would do you think a bar chart or maybe a tile chart? Well, I mean, just going back, I mean, just by looking at his first page of his tablet public, someone would hire him anyway, so it's kind of pointless. Uh, just because that first <laughs> graphic was so awesome. <laughs> um, well, there you, there you go, Danny. You've already okay. won. <laughs> so, um, so the attribution stuff's more just like for specific marketers to look in, I'm guessing. So I, I don't know if like uh, not everyone will look into it. So this is probably fine as is. It's also like a first iteration, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think maybe... Uh, Maybe a bar chart here. It's harder because they're not exactly the same thing because the attribution, you know, FA1 is not the same as, you know, there's no equivalent for A1 for Amazon. So this is a tricky visualization, right? So uh, yeah, bar charts probably are going to be um, better because you can see the difference in the bar as uh, Deepak said in the chat. Um, hopefully I said that correctly. I'm sorry if I didn't. Well, okay, um, so, so Deepak has taken all three of our courses and he's yeah. just knocked them out of the park. Also, mm -hmm. he just landed his Tableau developer job. So I wanted on air to bring him on and say, uh -huh. congratulations, you won. You got, mm -hmm. you got your Tableau job. Um, also, we need to have you on. I thought, um, Deepak, I thought that it would be like 1 a.m. your time. So I didn't think that you could make the live streams, but I to we totally could have had you on. <laughs> um, but, okay. So he's saying bar chart you think that uh, sorry Danny, totally what do you think yeah so Danny what do you think about this like, like um, the choice of visual at least I honestly I I think a bar chart you know could have been better um you know from a visual standpoint so you can get to see um Ooh. the bars you know what I, you know what I just realized and this is kind of a sophisticated approach but you you could have a stacked bar chart that has um, a relationship to sales and ad spend kind of baked into it. So like you could it could be various different sizes, and then you could say, all right, this is how much was spent. This is how much was made. Um, I mean, I, that's kind of hard for me to visually show or I visually tell. I'd have to show kind of the idea there. But I think incorporating the ad spend and the sales within one bar would be interesting. Um, but honestly, though, the, the other thing we consider, John David here is the, like the metrics above it might be all we actually really need in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so like Danny probably just, you know, knocked out the park just with, you know, FA1, FA2 seeing like, oh, you know, FA1 is a lot better. Um, and then like for Amazon being like, oh, AA2 and AA3 is like, oh, it's so much better. So that could also be something to consider here is like, do you need to have uh, the visual at all for like the stuff at the bottom? But it's just an opinion. I like, just could be wrong, completely wrong. So it's completely wrong. Yeah. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> okay. Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I, I'll, I bring you on for your expert opinion and then I just reject it. Get it That's out. fine. I mean, this is conversation, right? So like, <laughs> no, I'm just like, messing with you. Like Danny had like an amazing, 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 like first page. And then the second page is like the first iteration, right? So we always right. update and iterate and improve ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it, it's very, it's a very nice chart here. I'm just trying to see if like what could be improved, but no. maybe a bar chart, but again, uh, an interviewer has an opinion sometimes. It could be wrong, too. 
So the other thing is like, even in interviews itself, especially these days over Zoom, if you have like a Tableau, you know, just a Tableau open without public, um, you'd be like, oh yeah, so here's the data, here's what I have. And the person's like, oh, you should use a bar chart. And then Danny like, you know, whips it out and it's like, oh yeah, like this bar chart actually looks terrible, you know? Um, so that's a good place to also like insert skill uh, in a very nice way that a lot of people um, right. take, can take advantage of these days versus like, so I see Danny. I do I, well, okay, yeah, I see downsides for both. And I want you to put, I want to get your opinion so we can have like a nuanced conversation about it. Well, what you think? Me? Um, I, I would say I'll put the sale in the bar chart. Okay. Ooh, you know what you could do? You could do sales and dollar amount, like the different links. And then you could have um, as a tool tip or like what's showing up is the percentage of return on investment. Okay. as like just a hard number like within yeah. the, the label there. Um, Cause yeah. And, and see, this is like not, this is not cut and dry. This is very, well, I mean, what I love about this is like, okay, it's, it's, a, it's, a, this is a real use case. It's messy data. Like, um, so here I can share my screen. So here's the data set. Um, you can see that we've got, so for the attribution F1, on the fifth row here, there's nothing. Then we have social, which Danny, um, that might be another interesting kind of secondary analysis is like, what's the relationship of social sales versus ad sales? Okay. So, well, I mean, now we're starting to get totally into the weeds, but mm -hmm. you did a fantastic job. I mean, even the, even though the, 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 the attribution analysis is, was a lot more rough. I mean, it already looks great. Like you've already got the brand on it. And somebody was saying like, we, we need like a, a, a cheat sheet of how you go about branding your, your dashboards. Cause it looks fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the feedback. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. And seriously, the first page is like, it's epic. It, it's Thank super you. clear, like what's happening, why it's happening. And then oftentimes you get the point of sale or, you know, uh, return on the client's investment just by showing that one page. And the other stuff is more like, oh, yeah, like, this is great. And then, so they may not even ask you for the second page because the first page is like, wow. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're going to cut to our second and last commercial break. <laughs> and then we're going to pull everybody into the chat and we're going to have open Q&A. So those of you who are listening to the live stream right now, start asking your questions. Please ask your questions so that I don't have to scroll all the way up to find the next question because it's. I mean, I think we've had like 300 messages sent on the chat. So <laughs> please ask your questions right now. <laughs> In this case study course, you're gonna learn three things. Number one, you're going to improve your business acumen. This means that you're going to learn about how business works. Then we're going to move into the second point, which is analytics hard skills. So once we understand how the business works, we're then going to use some business intelligence tools, specifically Tableau, to solve the business problem and uncover insights. And then the third point, which is very, very important, 
are the soft skills. And the whole last chapter is dedicated to how you can more effectively explain your findings and also talk about past projects in an interview setting. To be a little bit more specific, you're going to be calculating the return on investment of two different marketing channels. So we're going to be looking at our Amazon and our Facebook ad spend. And there are three different data sources. So our first data source is our cost data source. And this is where we can see all of the ad spend and it's in one data source. Then there is a sales data source for Facebook and a sales data source for Amazon. The challenge is that we're going to have to combine all three of these data sources together and then isolate our spending data and associate it with the relevant sales data source. By the end of the project, you're going to figure out which of these has the highest return on investment. But you're also going to have a challenge where you're going to visualize the data and see if there are any insightful trends that you could communicate to our end client. So if you're up for a challenge, then sign up and let's get started. All right, nobody asked a question during that commercial break. It's all right. It's all right. I I had questions prepared. Okay, well, so I had to go all the way up because I was like, no one listens to me. They ask questions like <laughs> off the cuff, and I'm like, please ask me a question. They just don't listen. But okay, so uh, let's see. We've got, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm going to butcher this. Juan and Lee, uh, do you guys even need an MBA um, to get a job in the analytics space? Or I guess let's pivot that question slightly. Should you get a master's degree? Um, I'm kind of curious your perspective on it, Michael. Oh, so, I mean, um, everyone's biased, right? So, I mean, I teach at universities, but I think back in the day you did like absolutely because, you know, degrees are the most important thing, at least back in the day. But I think now it's not so much a requirement, it's the skills that you have. So if, you know, Tim and Danny have uh, portfolios, like that's, matters a lot more oftentimes because people, you know, reach out to you because like, Oh, I really like something I saw online that, that you did. Um, so I think less so now there are exceptions where like a degree is like an absolute mandatory thing, but I think that's less and less now and few and far between. So what do you guys think? Um, it's funny cause I'm on two college boards now and mm-hmm. um, I feel like this is a, a kind of a, an edgy take, but I think a lot of colleges are very far divorced from the actual real world. Some of them are like 20 years behind and it, it will, it will shoot you in the foot as opposed to launch you forward. All right. Who doesn't have a, someone doesn't have their headphones in. I, I'm hearing like echo. You guys hear that? It's not just me, right? Very faintly. I'm okay. very faint. It might just be you a little bit. Well, as long as I have a mic, um, can I speak to the MBA question? No, we're going to mute you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, I'm muting him. Anyone else? Anyone? I'll go ahead and give an unequivocal no real quick. Um, I had a bachelor's degree and was working on my master's in public affairs when I got my first analytics job. But before that, the way that I got into analytics was by following my curiosity. And so when you start using data to answer real world questions or questions about the business that you're focused in, questions about the nonprofit that you volunteer for, 
And if you're a curious person who likes to figure out answers to challenging problems, you'll really quickly start to build the skills and build the converse, uh, the conversational fluency, if you will, to talk about data and talk about analytics. And there's so much um, out there to help you learn on the internet. I think an MBA is, is actually irrelevant for analytics professionals. That's an edgy take. <laughs> well, okay. I think that, okay, analytics is a spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have the Michael Galarnik's of the world, like the power coders, super technical people. I am like, I say this analogy a lot. I'm like, it's like I have my floaties on in terms of like analytics hard skills. I'm like, I'm essentially a strategist entrepreneur who has a little bit of analytics sprinkled on top. So I think that getting an MBA for me was valuable because I get to see kind of a, I mean, it's a high level view, but of, of just about all the facets of business. Um, also too, it's, it you have, and see, this is what is frustrating about academia. I, now that I have an MBA, I can teach to where like, for example, Ryan Forrest, who is probably the best marketing analytics expert that I know, he can't teach because he only has an undergrad degree. So I, I guess it depends on like where you, where you want to go within your career. Um, but yeah, we have this, we have this conversation all the time. It's, I, I do. I, like, I say it's an edge case. I, I think it's an edge case, the teaching thing. Cause you make yeah. a lot, I mean, you make a lot more not teaching, like you're in some senses more so volunteering your time teaching than uh, right. anything. Cause you make a lot more consulting. So, you know, oh, well, okay. at least you so, should. <laughs> so let me push back. I think if you want to work for a fortune 500 company, they get so many mm -hmm. applicants that they, they use the, do you have a master's or do you not as a lever to weed out a lot of people. Depends on company, but yeah, sure. <laughs> well, just like when I was looking at the, the big, like, cause I thought mm -hmm. that I wanted to get a job job, like a, a, a nine to five. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of the companies that I was looking at was like, you you had to, well i guess that's that's also hr jargon which is a whole nother conversation mm -hmm. of was it coming from the actual hiring manager or is this just a template that was stamped on it from hr mm -hmm. but okay hunter you had some questions that you saved yeah uh i had one from let me pull that up real quick it looks like kinga yeah i see you guys talking in the chat yeah so uh kinga had a question she said um, in a real-life analytics position, are you taking an iterative approach to dashboards? Uh, who is your sounding board and your manager? And then typically, how many versions of a project does somebody make? Michael, you got, you got any thoughts on that? So uh, I mostly program these days. I mean, I look at dashboards, so I, I see more so the final result. But any sort of work in a big company is it's going to be iterative. It's not just like, oh yeah, here's this final product. You know, I just made it last night and this is, you know, the final thing, unless it's like a, you know, uh, a really high priority to like get something out the door. So I think it's more iterative than people think. Um, what do you guys think? Okay. I have thoughts on this. I, let me tell a very quick narrative story. So when I first started my consulting agency, it took me a lot of iterations to get what the clients wanted. But then once I had like, I don't know, 10, 15 projects under my belt, I started to develop mental models of like, okay, here's how marketing, here's, here's how CMOs think about their marketing dashboards. Here's how CFOs want to look at their financials. And then it's like, I, once 
at the beginning, you have to do a lot of iterations, but once you kind of get um, the, the correct kind of like mental models built out, it becomes a lot easier. So you start, instead of starting from ground zero and having like, I have no idea what they want, I'm gonna push this out and then get a bunch of feedback and then iterate multiple times. You could actually start to lead the conversation and say, here's typically the best practice of looking at X KPIs or X data points. And that, I mean, that's kind of a nuanced conversation of going from entry level and being the person who gets dictated to, to becoming like a well-known expert and kind of thought leader in the space. Cause then you, you, you flip roles within the conversation. Do you agree, Michael? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely beginning, like you're iterating everything, especially if it's a mm -hmm. new client or a new boss where everything you're doing before is wrong. And then you, you have to get to what they're looking for. And then from there, it's more so either the client trusts you or you just, you kind of know what certain people want in certain kinds of types of companies and there's less iteration. I do think there's still some iteration. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is. Cause there's going to be variances among mm -hmm. CMOs versus CFOs. And, and I specifically point to that example because the, there are fundamentally different types of people. If you're, if you've kind of ascended the hierarchy of a marketing department, you're probably much more creative than someone who is um, a CFO and financially driven. So with the marketing analytics dashboards I create, it's much more visual to where um, a lot of these CFOs just want like tables. And that's how they're, they, they have been, they've spent 30, 25, 30 years looking at Excel documents. So basically you, you create like an infrastructure within Tableau that's, that's similar to that. And I know, I feel like if, uh, any of the Tableau people are, are watching, they're like, don't do that. That's your, your butchering Tableau. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's got to be pitted on what the client or the manager or whoever your, your, the end user is wants and, and is comfortable with. Hunter, you had another question? Yeah. Um, well, before I get to this other question, it seems like there's a couple of people in the chat who are asking the age old question of Tableau versus Power BI. So if we could just bounce that around again real quick, I think that'd be pretty good. So. Python. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Al, you haven't talked very much. What are your thoughts? No, no, no I've just been talking to the chat. Uh, <laughs> I've not done anything with Power BI, just what we did with um, um, a couple of weeks ago uh, and, and playing with it for five, 10 minutes. I, I feel like Tableau is more intuitive. It's it's a bit more user friendly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's just that's just kind of gut feeling from watching you guys kind of play with it. I was like, just watching some of the struggles. Like, hmm, this feels like it would be easier in Tableau to me. Yeah, I, I I agreed to that sentiment. I feel much more comfortable on Tableau, but I did learn data visualization on Tableau. Um, what's interesting is. I don't know, two or three live streams ago, we had uh, Jenny on and she did, I mean, we did like an hour deep dive into Hunter's Power BI workbook while he wasn't there and um, was struggling. <laughs> he called in wow. from Dairy Queen. You really so, threw one of the bus there. No, no, no. He, okay, we were no, critiquing I, no, his work and he was on vacation so he couldn't defend his work and he was like, he called me after the live stream fuming mad. <laughs> Like I, I had, I had, def I had thoughts. I had defenses. 
Well, that, that means uh, the, the viz was inadequate, right? Five second rule. It shouldn't need okay. you there. So, if it was effective, <laughs> it would stand on its own. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I'm going to push back on that because you need to set up that high level conversation of what's going on first. But yes and no, give and take. Michael, you were going to say something? So my thought is this. So for Tim and Danny, I think knowing about that question. So like a client asked you like, oh, yeah. So like, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, Power BI versus Tableau? Have an answer ready for that sort of stuff. Um, because it's probably a question you might get on like, oh, what are the limitations of using Tableau that you don't have when you use Power BI and vice versa? Because... You know, if you work for a certain client, uh, for Power BI, like it integrates better with Microsoft technologies, like just in general. It's my opinion, but I mean, it's probably pretty clear because it's coming from Microsoft, right? Um, that's a big opinion um, because I know also Power BI integrates better, at least in my opinion, with Python. And I'm a <laughs> Python person, and I, I hear it from my Microsoft friends that, you know, they use Power BI Microsoft because it integrates better because they have a stake in it. So, I think that's a that's an excellent um, piece of advice. Uh, don't don't have like a cookie cutter. I mean, I guess my my response when people ask me that question is that I think Tableau is a data visualization platform that has data modeling tacked onto it, and I think Power BI is the opposite. Um, I, I, I am more of a data visualization person than I am a data modeler. So I think that's why I like Tableau more. But yeah, make it personal to you. I mean, I think that that's that's a fantastic way of, of responding. All right. So this one's a good one for you, Michael. Where can we get public data sets for practice? So uh, I know this is a data analytics podcast, but there's a website called Kaggle. I'm sure you've you know gotten data from it. There's a lot of publicly... Um, interesting data sets on there. Um, there's a lot of government websites for data sets. So you can go through a lot of government data. Government data I find is sometimes a bit too aggregated. Um, mm -hmm. But I love Kaggle because it's messy sometimes. It's It can be a bit ugly. Uh, if you're really, really ambitious and you want to learn a whole other skill set entirely and you just have a lot of free time for some strange reason, you can also web scrape and Ooh. get data. <laughs> if you I'm, want to be pseudo legal, you know. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because uh, yeah. I literally went to the, the pool yesterday with Molly Welsh, who we helped mm -hmm. her get her first data science job on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that she has looked at multiple courses for web scraping and mm -hmm. there she she has has lucked out. How did you learn web scraping? Uh, it's unfortunate, really. Um, so I have scraped to sit this in a nice, uh, legally okay way. <laughs> I have scraped some websites to do projects uh, and to help people publish papers on data that's related to uh, um, websites, including potentially uh, GoFundMe and like those sort of giving websites. So that they don't really have a publicly accessible API necessarily. Maybe they do now. Um, but to look at like, you know, which campaigns are successful for getting people, you know, healthcare, or which campaigns are successful for, you know, getting someone, um, you know, uh, like a house or whatever, you know? So I learned that, uh, and I learned it through Scrapey, which is the Python library. Um, okay. But Scraping Hub has like tools available where you can, you know, do minimal amounts of code to, you know, web scrape. But there's a lot of other tools out there. I just do it from scratch in Python because it's easier for me. But. Okay. Well, yeah. I, 
Well, I just had a follow-up question yeah. from Michael. Mm -hmm. So I thought you mentioned Scrapey, because I've, I've been mm -hmm. trying to get into web scraping recently, and um, mm -hmm. I see Scrapey, I see Selenium, and a bunch of others. Mm -hmm. Selenium versus Scrapey, and which one is better, and why? So people often use stuff together. So it's been a long time since I've scraped, uh, because it's not really my job anymore. Um, so Scrapey is really great for, uh, you see something on a website, you want the data because it's there and you think it should be yours or at least because they don't have a structured API. So just for going back, a lot of websites have structured APIs to get data because otherwise people would just take it. Um, so like Twitter has an API we can just kind of, you know, take it in nice ordered fashion. Um, of course they rate limit you. Um, of course it's web scraping. Uh, with Scrapey, there's important considerations to keep in mind that people often don't. So sometimes with uh, web scraping, people uh, automatically scrape the pages too fast and it causes uh, some issues on the websites. So people don't like that. Uh, for Selenium, I haven't used Selenium in a long time, but oftentimes you need to have a computer automate clicks. And so I think Selenium is better for that. So like you wanna, get some text underneath something that isn't showing all the way, or you want to go to another page or whatever. Uh, Selenium helps with that. Um, but I probably should probably take this offline because it's been a while since I've compared tools. But yeah, I would start off with Scrapey. And if you find it's not enough, then integrate Selenium with it. Because like most of these tools can be used together. So. OK, thank you. Yeah. If I could provide the, uh, the average dummy that knows nothing about uh, mm -hmm. coding and such things um, perspective, so I think that there are topics that you can kind of get into on the cheap, if you will. Uh, you can sort of, you can pick up enough to do like uh, basic SQL clear queries without devoting like big chunks of time to learning SQL or to doing like a whole class. And you, you can kind of just do a $10 Udemy and, or a LinkedIn learning and, and sort of pick up enough to get into a project. I, I tried to do that with web scraping, and I don't get the sense that that is a topic that you can you can sort of get a a surface level exposure to. Um, I I gave up on it pretty quick because I had other stuff to do, but uh, it definitely struck me as something. It's like, hey, if you if you want to start doing projects that involve web scraping, you're going to need to devote time to that. Um, you, you can't get a surface level. You got to kind of dive in and and immerse yourself in it uh, to make it useful. Yeah. I I, that's yeah, that's that's true. Point. It's definitely a a big ask. It's also a lot of pages have defenses against web scraping, um, and also depending on where you are, it might not be legal depending on the site. So it's really something you have to dive kind of headfirst into. There are tools these days and companies that provide those services, or at least make you know a UI that makes it easier, uh, rather than just you know learning Python and learning about web scraping, and then. Uh, then you're using Selenium, which I particularly use it for, just for like clicking on buttons and getting the next page and stuff like that. Yeah, to that, LinkedIn will suspend your account real quick uh, if they even get a whiff of web scraping. Real quick. Yeah. That's a uh, oddly Pacific. Yeah, sounds odd. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't even try to scrape LinkedIn. They sounds oddly incriminating. And yeah. yeah, and suspended my account actually multiple times. Um, and I had to get into it with them. Like, I have no freaking clue how to do this. Trust me. I've never attempted it. So I don't know what set it off, but yeah, it happened to me several times. Okay. So uh, this is a really interesting question coming from Natika here. And 
Natika, I want more context on this. So if you're still in the live chat, will you tell me what area of business acumen you want to learn more about? If it's sales, marketing, supply chain, I might have some specific advice. If you can reply back by the time we're still talking about this. Um, so when I was hanging out with Molly yesterday, she actually has the flip side of this where, um, okay, I'll just read Natika's question and then we'll kind of have a conversation around this. So I've just started working as a business analyst and I have almost no business knowledge. I'm learning slowly and my seniors are really patient and helpful, but this is affecting my work deadlines and quality. Um, how, how can I fast forward the process and what can be the catalyst? I love this question because me and Molly just had a conversation yesterday about um, she got a data science job before she knew how to use Python and is in the same position, only having to learn APIs and web scraping and all this stuff on the job. So it's a stressful position to find yourself in. I mean, <laughs> why you're, you're laughing. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm more sympathizing. <laughs> okay. So um, I'll let you answer the Python thing and then I, I can point her in the right direction if she responds back with some more specifics. Um, so so how, how to learn coding on the job. Go. <laughs> so the, the key for anything is there's always be things in a job you just don't know. And mm -hmm. any sort of job, there's always going to be a ramp up period where you're probably working more than you do later on in the job because people don't, you know, accept ramp up periods as much as they used to. Uh, just my experience where it's like, oh, you got to start, you know, really quick and, you know, move really fast and all that sort of stuff. So you're spending time learning, you know, sometimes even outside of work hours, which could be very stressful in a lot of ways. Um, so the biggest thing is uh, the ability to find resources to learn things, I think is the biggest one. And a lot of places, at least internal documents, don't always have that if you're on the job. So like learning, oh, the specific library for a specific company um, in Python or whatever, um, that could be a, a big ask. But I think the biggest thing to do is to improve your general knowledge so that when people tell you something, you can actually build on that knowledge. I, that's the biggest, hardest one. And I really recommend when you first start a job, you know, don't have as much of a life as you normally do until you get kind of on track. And then eventually you get back your life, you know, so you just spend a lot more time working and eventually you just go back to normal times. So terrible advice, terrible American advice. So just work a lot more, but yeah. Yeah. It'll be worth the pain eventually one day, maybe. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that, well, it, it was a decision. You took on the decision to get the job that's going to push you. And mm -hmm. cause I'm kind of coming out of a period of my life where I like, I built my consulting agency while I was learning my skill set at the same time. And it was, I mean, a good three years where I was just stressed out continuously. Um, that being said, I am now on the other side of that and I'm established as an expert in like a very quick, rapid period of time. Um, there are upsides and downsides of that. Like, yeah, you may lose your sanity for a little while and not get as much sleep. And it's, do you have any specific um, like advice on where she could get some like great foundational knowledge because learning python is like learning a new language right yeah so i think Corey schaefer on youtube uh has probably the best like introduction to python videos okay um as someone that also you know does youtube videos occasionally very occasionally um i think Corey schaefer is probably the best in terms of just like learning basics python um and then from there 
you know, branch out and learning the data specific libraries because it's, I think the found people just try to start off, you know, all of a sudden, like they get into Python and even some analytics, they go, Oh, I'll start off with machine learning or deep learning. And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, you know, start off, you know, with the basic knowledge so you can actually build on it, understand what's going on. Um, so that way, when someone tells you something like, Oh, change this or do this, you understand the lingo because learning the lingo is kind of, uh, very challenging. I think learning libraries in Python is uh, easier. So like doing data manipulation in Python is easier than uh, learning the basics of Python, which you should learn first. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Awesome. And Molly's still in the chat. So yeah. Wow. You've been tuning in for an hour and a half. That's awesome. Molly. The, so the advice and I, the advice I gave her yesterday. Um, so we went and hung out in the pool and then went to dinner. Um, and mm -hmm. over dinner, we were talking about how, um, I, okay, so this is, I'm, I'm looping back Natika's question about the business acumen. So I think that it's important for you to get plugged into in-person human groups. So for example, um, I went to, actually, this is where I ran into Tim again. So we ran into each other at a Synergy event, which is like a young professionals group. And then we ran into each other at a Code for Greensboro meetup, So which you told me about. At that meetup, I ran into this guy, Hunter Loftus, who... Uh, it's funny because it was like one of his last days at Facebook. Turns out this guy works for Facebook is a block away from me. We're neighbors and we had him over for dinner like that next week. And we were just hanging out over dinner with a group, like a small group of people. He had a breakdown. He, he explained how the machine learning algorithms work or like the machine, how, how I should build my marketing strategy for the platform just over dinner and how the machine learn, learning um, can apply to kind of like supercharge that process. So if you can just have a person in like locally that you can connect with and like, granted, they're not your, like, they're not at your beck and call to like answer every single question, but like having someone that you have a personal relationship and connection with can save you not only like a bunch of time, but I think also from like an emotional support perspective, like there's someone there that cares about you that, knows the way and can kind of guide you on your hero's journey, so to speak. Yeah. And ideally don't spend a, a, like a lot, a lot of time after, you know, a couple of months, like if your work's keeping asking you for unreasonable things, like, you know, learning languages from scratch all the time, then, you know, you know, time to push back a little bit. Like you're not here just to work 24, seven, 365. Uh, mm -hmm. You're eventually there to, you know, live life and, you know, make a paycheck and, you know, spend time with your friends and stuff. So, Oh, clicked on that by accident. So let's get back to Natika's question. Mm -hmm. um, so it looks like she is working for a consulting firm. Um, so what do you, Natika, what are you doing specifically within that? Um, I guess I can tell you about how, so right now we're in the process of, we just push play on our ads for our learning platform. So I'm, I'm having to learn all of this from scratch. What I'm doing is I'm watching webinars on YouTube. So YouTube is a fantastic resource, but then also, like I was telling you about, um, you know, running into Hunter Loftus, um, connecting with people who know about it. And then also um, for those who are longtime listeners, I mean, Ryan Forrest is, is handling our ads, but he is, he's a 10 year veteran of marketing, marketing analytics. So I think it's kind of a combination of finding online content and digesting that, but then having some type of human connection. And I, I don't know, Michael, is that, I've never heard. That definitely helps. Advice. Like going to meetups definitely helps because you, 
people give you know seminars and talks on basic stuff, and people are usually there to answer questions. Um, so that's great. Uh, classes do help, and it does take time. So I know it could be a little frustrating, but once you have that skill, it's not just good for the consulting firm you work for now. It's also good for future jobs, future you know clients, and those sort of things. So think of it as kind of like an investment in yourself if you have time. Um, because yeah, like the more skills you have, the more value you provide, and hopefully the more return on investment you get for that time. So, did you know how? What was your level of coding knowledge before you got your first data science job? If you don't mind me asking, uh, it's kind of complicated. So, I was I've always been a Python person, probably too framed into Python. So, okay. I probably had like. Uh, six months to a year of Python experience before I got my first job. Cause I was also doing a master's at the time and like masters are good for um, building up. Like it's a way to, uh, it gives you time to get internships and get jobs and stuff. So that really does help. So I kind of use internships as kind of a way to build my experience to get that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the other thing to note here is you probably don't need to be that great at Python. Um, if they're asking you to learn something from scratch, like a lot of times API calls or um, working with libraries. So find out exactly what you need and the process of figuring out what you need can kind of give you insights to what to learn and how to learn. Because if you try to learn everything, you're gonna be crushed. So if you try to learn like, oh yeah, like uh, I'm learning basic Python and I'm learning object-oriented Python and decorators and uh, dunder methods and all that sort of stuff. Well, maybe you don't need to actually know all that stuff Maybe you just need to know like, you know, lists and tuples and for loops and print statements and, you know, working with a data manipulation library. Maybe that's all you need. You don't need to learn the other stuff. So find out what you need and then zero in on that stuff. And then if you're not sure what you need yet, just learn the basics. And then once you learn the basics, you probably have a better idea what to, uh, what else to learn. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like you have a thread you pull on and, and the, yeah. you want the things start kind of splintering out at, from that. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so another question that kind of came up during that that hangout session yesterday was, um, <laughs> from like an anxiety standpoint, um, how, how okay from like a mental like how, how can you tell when you're falling behind? Like I think that a lot of people in those positions that Molly and Natika are like they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is like an inner game of like. I'm just like Natika said in her comment, I'm slowing down. How can I fast forward this? Um, I mean, do you wait until they're like, you are actively like, like how, how do you, how can you read that situation and kind of ease that, just check in with them? Like how, how would you socially navigate that? So I would ask like, Hey, like you have any good resources for this or like, what should I learn? Cause oftentimes they're like, Oh yeah, you only need to know, you know, uh, a very small subset of things. Um, so just ask, uh, we're often afraid to ask our coworkers like, you know, for help or like, how should I do something? So I would ask because uh, I know it's a little bit scary maybe, but ask and it'll be useful. I think the other thing to think about is everyone feels these kind of stresses and pressures in like a workplace. Cause there's always something that you don't know. Um, so just ask, Go from there and you'll be okay. Like things always seem like the end of the world, but really uh, they're not. And you'll actually speed up if you just ask a question, really. Yeah. And I think that it's also 
what happens in those situations is that you start having these like it's it's paranoia and imposter syndrome sneaking in of like oh i'm gonna lose this job and maybe that is not the expectation like they don't expect you to know all this stuff and you're putting Mm -hmm. undue pressure like you're suffering essentially unnecessarily so so i think Mm -hmm. that it's being proactive about having um, communication. Cause I think a lot of managers, unfortunately um, do not kind of take stock of that. Mm-hmm. So um, Natika, I hope you, I hope you're not stressing out too, too, too much, but um, Tim, I saw your private chat. Feel, feel free to, to hop off anytime, but um, Thanks, you want to plug, you want to plug that. code for Greensboro before you head out? Yeah, well, yeah, and I I posted it on the um <clears throat> on the public comments there. Check us out at Code for GSO on Twitter, especially if you're local to the Triad area. Um, we're looking towards some exciting things this fall, despite the COVID hiccup, and projects with open data, projects with building civic apps, and working with community organizations. So I'll see you online. Awesome, thanks, thanks for you're a trooper today. Take care, see everyone. Awesome. Um, yeah, no, we're dropping like flies. Mike, Michael, how are you doing on time? You got you to gotta head soon? I'm good. I'm probably having another half an hour at most, but yeah. Okay. Um, Hunter, did you see any other questions coming up? Um, I have. So this was just a short question. It was, uh, Rishi was asking for predictive analysis, what's normally a good time frame for that? So I'm assuming what he means by that is like, at what point in time is it okay to start doing predictive analysis? Like, like the time, like in the data, I guess. I don't know if that was what he was asking, but I, I think I can answer this. I think the biggest answer to that is it depends, and that's a terrible answer in a lot of ways. But it's like the go-to it, answer. It depends on your client or like or what project you're working on, and even if predictive analysis is even necessary. So sometimes the visualization is all you need. So like for Danny's dashboard, like that first page was like perfect. Like this. Let's go, you know, this is great. And that's like all we need. I mean, a lot of cases at least. Um, and so if you find that you need to actually, you know, predict some trends or you need to predict um, some sort of future outcome or some price for a home or whatever, um, well, then you have to do predictions because that's your exact task. So. Um, all right. Thank you. Uh, oh, one final thing about the prediction stuff. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. <laughs> so. It depends on the prediction you're also making. So oftentimes a simple model is usually the best. So people, you know, these days go to neural networks for predictions and stuff. Um, In reality, oftentimes they just need like a really simple like regression or they need a really simple like decision tree or whatever, random forest or whatever, um, instead of, you know, something crazy. Yeah. And can I just say, can I just say, despite all the trash talk I got from everybody... (laughs) On my hairstyle, Natika <laughs> over here quite enjoys it. So, suck on that. <laughs> well, uh, I hope you're not planning on wearing that to an interview anytime soon. You know what you look like? You look like someone like someone in a punk band from the mid 2000s. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cracking me up. <laughs> um. Okay, well, this was this was awesome. Uh, I feel like we don't have to go all thirty minutes. Um, what? So, what are you, what are you doing right now with AnyScale? So, you're you're doing the um, developer relations, right? So, my job is kind of uh, 
interesting in a lot of ways. So I developed content. So like programming content, like, oh yeah, you know, how to, you know, learn distributed computing. Or uh, I evangelized the Ray project, which is like a distributed computing framework that makes it really easy to scale from a single computer to like, you know, thousands upon thousands of computers. Because a lot of computers these days, a lot of algorithms like for machine learning, uh, doing them, like training them on a single computer is not tenable. It's just not possible. It just takes too long. Like a lot of the cutting edge stuff you see these days is trained across thousands upon thousands of nodes. So IE computers. Um, and so I write about that. I code a little bit, contribute some documentation to the project. Um, and that's a lot of my job. I also market. So I'm like, oh yeah, the, we had a conference this past June and uh, Ray Summit, you know, 2021 talks on YouTube, like stuff like that too. But it's very enjoyable. I also still teach at Stanford's uh, adult education program, continuing studies. And I also do LinkedIn learning classes and some other stuff occasionally too. Jack of all yeah. trades. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I, I saw your, um, your how to get a remote data science job. Yeah. That was, uh, oh, so you're making a similar course, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, mine's very different. It's called how to land a business intelligence role. Completely different. different. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, mine was mostly like learn programming. And then yours is probably like, you know, here's dashboard advice and how to sell yourself and stuff. Yeah. Which is different. No. Well, okay. I think we're... The thing that I'm like, the new cross that I'm like, or the new thing I'm pushing out is um, personal branding. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's talking about that or people are, I guess are kind of talking about it, but um, everyone thinks, or like the, I guess the, 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 the usual gut impulse is that, oh, I'm just going to build my hard skills really in depth. And that's going to be what's going to get me the job. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, I don't know why that's so common, but I get that all the time. It's like, what tool should I learn? What tool should I learn? You should, what coding language? Like it's instead of like, well, what, what do you want to do? How well do you know any like space within the business? There seems to be kind of a disconnect there. And that's, I mean, what we're, what we're doing with building out these portfolios is, well, number one, it's like you're doing good work that has an impact, but number two, you're broadcasting that out. Because um, Hunter, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but you you are having people reach out to you for job interviews, right? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few people over the past couple of months that I've been on the channel, been on the podcast, and I mean, what can I say? What can I say? You follow the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast, you get a job. I mean, it's simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Hunter, I love. You know what? They're trying to steal you because you're you're so good at plugging things. But no, I mean, like you had like a legit, like pretty large organization reach out to you about wanting you to interview for their internship, right? Yeah, actually, it was interesting enough. You'd never think about it. But Sherman Williams, like the paint company, actually wow. reached out to me about an analytics job. Uh, so That's incredible. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Uh, I told them that uh, I want to develop a little bit further. And I said, just stay in touch. And they were fine with that. So, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's just about how well you market yourself. Um, you put you put your work out there. You they see. I mean, uh, recruiters see the work that you're doing, and they see that you're putting in the effort. And then they, I mean, you know, they reach out to you for that. So, I would say, I would say that, uh, like that short that we made a little while ago, it's important to ha have a well-rounded toolbox. Uh, and you know, I think that's the key. Well, you're also like really personable too. I think that's another thing that people don't think about in an interview process of like, they're trying to assess like, do I actually want to work with this person? 
Yeah. So like like being like a human and being connected is, is I've, super. I've important. had to work. I've had to work with people who are like like it's like staring at a brick wall. Like I don't understand. <laughs> you, you have to you have to put yourself out there a little bit and be willing to do something bold and and you know make it make it about you because the more personal that your work is, I think the more you're going to care about it and the better it'll be, the better quality yeah. it'll be. Yeah. So I guess let's close out on this question, Michael. Do you have any tips on how to um, kind of market yourself out on the job marketplace? I think the thing is, is as many sources as possible is probably pretty good and doing as good a as po- job as possible. So it's the tablet publics, you know, having things out there is really nice if people can actually find you and come to you. Because a lot easier for people to come to you than, you know, you need to reach out for everyone. The internet's a big place where a lot of people are on and it's, more likely that someone on the big internet can reach out to you than, you know, um, that you can scale to reach out to everyone. Um, right. And that's the way you, you put yourself out there. Uh, so things like uh, Tim and Danny did by like uh, showcasing themselves and having these excellent tools out there, it's more likely people are to come to them. So for me in the like data science space, like, you know, have an active GitHub, write about your analytics in some cases. Like blogging is a big thing if you do a good job. And that's how I've gotten a lot of jobs. Um, and that's how I got my current job, ironically. So, yeah. Right. I mean, you're like the, the poster child here of this exact concept of like, do a yeah. good job, put out good work, and then things will come your way. And then you'll be turning people down a lot. So <laughs> uh, it, it happens. <laughs> well, it's also good because if you ever get, you know, uh, economies go through ups and downs. So if you ever get laid off or the company goes under or, you know, whatever, or you need a new job, it's a lot easier to switch. You're not tied to something that is not either what you want to do, not paid well enough, or if you need to move because you have family or you have, you know, some life circumstance happen where you have to move across country, you know, it, it makes it easier. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. on that very important point, let's close out the live stream. This was awesome. I mean, this was like a total experiment. We haven't done this before. This is the most cooks we've had in this kitchen. So thank everybody. Thanks everybody who tuned in on the chat. Thanks Hunter. Thanks Danny and Michael. You're amazing. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> Bye everyone. See ya. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.